be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in Paul's letter to the Philippians, reading there in the first chapter beginning at the 27th verse. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I hope that all of us that are here in church this morning are glad that we have been able to come and that this is an hour of worship and that this is a beautiful winter Sunday. You've heard me say that today in the church it is known as Septuagesima Sunday. It means that this is the first of three Sundays before the Lenten season begins. And the word Septuagesima is taken from the Latin language. It simply means the numeral 70, which means that now we are about 70 days away from Easter. What is happening in the church here now is this, that we are turning away from Christmas and the Epiphany season. Now we are setting our sights to the Lenten season, to Calvary, and to Easter. And the text that I just read this morning is very appropriate for this Septuagesima Sunday. It is taken out of Paul's letter to the Christian congregation at Philippi. If you recall, when Paul was on his second missionary journey and he came to the city of Troas in Asia Minor, he received the Macedonian call and he tells us that straightway he crossed the Aegean Sea, he went up into Macedonia, went to the city of Philippi in Macedonia. It was a Roman colony, Philippi in Macedonia, named after Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. And there it was that Paul established the first Gentile congregation, the first Christian congregation on the continent of Europe. Years passed, and when Paul wrote this letter to them, he was over in Rome, he was in jail. Two years locked up, and this is known as a prison epistle or a prison letter. And he's writing back now to the congregation at Philippi in Macedonia, the first Christian church on the continent of Europe, and this is what he is saying to them. He says, only Philippian Christians, he says, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, Philippian Christians, this is what I ask of you, regardless of what comes, regardless of what happens, will you see to it that you will live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Will you see to it that your behavior, that your way of life, that your conduct will always be in harmony with the gospel of Christ? In other words, he was saying to them, listen, Philippian Christians, my plea for you is, regardless of what happens, practice what you preach. Practice what you believe. Live the gospel of Jesus Christ that you believe. Live Jesus Christ in whom you'll put your faith. Practice what you preach, O Philippian Christians. And today, on this Septuagesima Sunday, the Apostle Paul, speaking by the Holy Spirit, he says to you and me as Christians, as regarding our Christian life, he is saying, be sure, regardless of whatever comes to you, practice what you preach. Practice what you believe. Practice what you put your faith in. Live what you believe. Live the gospel of Christ that you say you believe. Live Jesus Christ in whom you say you put your faith. And you know when we hear this thing about our Christian life and we talk about practicing what we preach, about practicing what we believe, we may say to ourselves, why is it that Paul would ever say to us, regardless of what happens, I don't care whatever comes in your life, be sure that you practice what you preach. For we may say to ourselves, what is so all-fired important about our Christian life? For we may say, after all, we're not saved by our life, and we aren't, are we? You and I may say this morning, I'm saved by my faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, if I were not saved by faith, then there was no necessity of Christ coming into the world. But since I am not saved by my life, what is so tremendously important that Paul would write to Christians of all ages, listen, as regards your life, practice what you preach, practice what you believe, live Jesus Christ, live that gospel that you say you put your faith in. And we may say, is it so tremendously important? Is it so vital? Is it so necessary? And Paul would remind you and me that we are right, that we are not saved by our Christian life. Otherwise, again, Christ would not have had to have come and died for you and me. But Paul says, nevertheless, Christians, as he wrote to the Philippians, whatever happens, I don't care what comes in your life, thick or thin, will you practice what you preach? Will you practice what you believe? Will you live the gospel that you believe? Because even though Paul says, you may say, I'm not saved by my life, and Paul says, you aren't, nevertheless, it's a matter of life and death. Paul would remind you and me this morning that we practice what we preach, that we live the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we say we believe, that we live Jesus Christ. And this morning we want to look for a few moments at this reality. Is it a matter of life and death as regards how you and I live as Christians, even though it is not our life that saves us? And Paul would remind you and me that it's of tremendous importance. It is of the greatest necessity, Paul says, whatever comes, practice what you preach. Practice what you believe. Live what you believe. Live the gospel of Jesus Christ because Paul in the first place would remind you and me that it's only when we practice what we preach, only when we live what we believe, that we have the evidence that that faith that we have in Christ is a living faith and not a dead faith. We may say, why is it so important, so desperately important to practice what we preach when it's faith in Jesus that saves and not our lives? But let's look for a moment at Satan, the archenemy of God, and rather strangely, Scripture says, and Satan believes. Do you know that Satan believes in Jesus Christ? 
Do you know that Satan believes that Jesus was God's son? That Satan believes that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary? That Satan believes that Jesus, when he died on the cross, died for the sins of the world? That Satan believes that Jesus rose again? And yet if I'd ask you this morning, do you think that Satan, the devil, is saved? And you would say, oh no. And if I would ask you why, I believe you would say this. He might have a faith, all right, but oh God, what kind of a faith does he have? Look at his life. You would say to me, well, that faith is worse than nothing that he's got. It's deader than a doornail. Look at the fruits in his life. If he had a living faith, a faith that would save, he would be a different kind of a person. But you and I look at the tree of Satan's life, and on that tree we find no fruit where God ever comes first in his existence. There is no fruit for what he blasphemes the name of God. He desecrates God's day. He is filled with a lack of respect for authority to God. He is filled with hatred. He fills the minds of human beings with lust and corruption. He is dishonest. He's a liar from the beginning. And he is a covetous individual who hates God with a vengeance. And you and I say, I know he's got faith, but who in the world could ever be saved by that kind of a faith? And then when we look at ourselves and we say, what is so important about my life that I am to practice what I preach, that this is a matter of life and death? You see, you can't see your faith and I can't see mine. And so the question is, what kind of a faith do you have in Christ? What kind do I have? And since we can't see it, the only thing we can do in order to find out, is it like Satan's faith? Is it deader than a doornail? Is it a spurious, blasphemous faith? That kind of a faith can't save. And so the only way to find out is to look at our lives. Jesus said, by their fruits ye shall know them. We've got to look at the tree of our life. What kind of a faith do I have? The only way I can find out is, Am I practicing what I'm preaching? Am I practicing what I believe? You and I may look at our life for a moment. We may say, well, they're not perfect fruits. No, and they never will be. But if we look at the tree of our life, if we can say to ourselves, but there is a consistency between my life and what I believe. There is a harmony. It is worthy to a certain extent. At least I'm trying. I do try to put God first, even though I don't do it perfectly. I do try to watch that I don't profane his name. I do keep the holy day and I sanctify it and I do want to hear his word. I do have respect for authority even though it isn't perfect. I do watch that I have no hatred or ill will or grudge in my heart. I do try to live a decent, clean, moral life. I am trying to be honest. I don't try to lie. I am trying to avoid covetousness and all kinds of greed and jealousy. If you and I can look at our lives and say, there is this fruit that all means that I'm worthy, that it's measuring up, that it's what you'd expect of someone who has a faith in Christ, then we can say to ourselves, now I know that mine is not a dead, spurious faith like that of Satan, but it's a living faith. And because it's a living faith, it's a kind of a faith that saves and it's a faith that won't damn me. It's a matter of life and death. That you and I as Christians, as regards our Christian life, heed Paul when Paul says, I don't care what happens. Will you practice what you preach? Will you practice what you believe? Will you live lives that are in harmony with the gospel of Christ? Will you live Jesus Christ? And Paul says, I know you're not saved by your life. But it's a matter of life and death that you live Jesus Christ. It's the only evidence that you've got, Paul says, 
that your faith is different from the faith of Satan, that it's not a spurious, absolutely kind of a faith that is deader than a doornail. The only way you and I can even gauge our faith, what does the tree look like that is growing from that faith? And so today on Septuagesima Sunday, we ought to say to ourselves, when Paul says, will you Christians, as regards your Christian life, will you practice what you preach? And the first thing we ought to stop and probe and say, am I? Am I practicing what I am preaching? Do I live what I believe? And the only way to do that is to look at your tree and look at mine, what's on it. If you and I look at the tree and it stinks, if we look at it and we say, why, we've got the same damnable fruit on my tree that Satan's got. That again, look at my language. Look again at the way I respect the holy day. Look at my authority that I have from my parents. Look again at the grudge that I carry. Look at my immoral life. And look again how dishonest I am. Look at the lies in my life. Look at the greed and the jealousy. If you and I must look at that kind of a life and say, it just doesn't measure up. Uh, then, for God's sakes, we ought to say to ourselves, my life is of tremendous importance, and there's only one thing to do, and that's to repent. Paul was writing, and he whose name was Saul, he was named after, you know, the first king of Israel. Remember, Saul looked at his life, this first king of Israel, started out with a faith in his God, but, oh, on that tree of his life, there grew all manner of fruit that just didn't measure up to what he was. But he was always going to change the next day, you know. He was always sorry, but not yet. He was going to do it on the morrow. And you and I say, well, I, I want to get this kind of rotten fruit out of my life, but not yet today because it's too much fun. I'm going to wait till tomorrow. But when tomorrow comes, you see, as we hardened our hearts, the likelihood tomorrow is less than today and the law of diminishing returns takes in and every day it becomes more doubtful that you and I will ever repent and we will ever say, Oh Lord God, this is the contaminated fruit that's got to come off of my tree and we ask for forgiveness and only as we go into the besetting sins of our lives and lay them at the feet of the cross of Jesus Christ do you and I then find that peace which the world cannot give. I've had individuals say to me, You talk about peace in the Christian faith, I can't find it. Then I say to them, what are you holding back? If there is something in your life and mine that we are holding back, if there's some fruit on a tree that ought not to be there, and it's there because we want it to be there, and it's there because we are not practicing what we preach, there will never come peace in Jesus Christ. There is no other peace. This is the peace that the world cannot understand. I've had two cases of dope addiction this past week. And I know people say to me, how does it come that people, young people especially, are running for dope? Oh, they may be taking the dare. And the other thing, it may be resentment, but I think there's a third thing. I think that there are young people who, when they look on the tree of their life, are not practicing what they believe, and they know they're doing wrong, who are searching for peace in stinking glue, that it might do something to their mind, or in smoking, or in taking the trip in acid, or in drunkenness. They are seeking, oh, for just a few moments, a little sense of peace. And may I say, young friends, it isn't there. The only peace is this, when you and I practice what we preach, what we believe. When there is fruit on the tree that ought not to be there, uh, that even if it half kills us, that we lay it at the throne of grace, and ask for forgiveness, then there comes peace within. 
This is Septuid Jesima Sunday. And Paul in jail in Rome, writing to the first Christian congregation on the continent of Europe, and he loved them all, and he said, only, he said, let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. Listen, Philippians, will you do this? Whatever happens, I don't care what happens, but practice what you preach. Will you practice what you believe? Will you live what you believe? Will you live the gospel that you say you put your faith in? Will you live Jesus Christ? And again, he would remind them that it's of tremendous importance, even as he reminds you and me, and we say, well, I'm not saved by my life. That seems to be of secondary importance. I'm saved by faith, which is so true. But nevertheless, how you live and how I live, whether we practice what we preach or not, is of tremendous value and importance, because Paul reminds us also in the second place that it's only when we practice what we preach, when we live what we believe, and then bear witness to others about the gospel of Christ, only then do we give them evidence that the gospel is true and that it isn't hogwash. You heard me announce the beginning of the adult lectures the first Monday night in March, and I never have a series of lectures come up and what some come to me and say, I've invited so-and-so and I've invited this person where I work and I've invited that person and nobody comes. And then I wonder whether we shouldn't say to ourselves it may be legitimate where we work and the individuals with whom we associate, have we ever wondered why? Have we ever said to ourselves, I wonder when I bear witness of the gospel and the good news and invite individuals to be introduced to Christ, I wonder whether it's because I may not be practicing what I preach, maybe what they see in me and in my life is such that they're saying, well, that person doesn't believe it. If he believed that his life would be different, maybe the reason they don't accept my invitation is because they know I don't believe it and they know, therefore, that it isn't true. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he told them, I'd love to come and see you, and I haven't been able to, but he said, whether I am able to come or not and come back to see you again, he says, let me have the assurance that you're standing together and that you're one in the faith contending, witnessing for the gospel. He said, oh, listen, uh, Philippians, practice what you preach. When you and I practice what we preach, and then we bear testimony of Jesus Christ, something happens to the man to whom we talk. There comes within himself a conviction that this thing must be true, because he said, look what it's done in this person's life. And also this must have a power because it changes lives. And then if there's ever going to be a conviction in the man of the world, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. This is where it comes when you practice what you preach and I practice what I preach. And he says to himself, it can't be hogwash. And then there comes this glorious assurance to him that he looks at you and me and he says, I'm lost because I do not have Jesus Christ. The gospel is true. Without him, without faith in him, I'm lost. And uh, then there comes, if there ever comes, a desire for Jesus Christ. How does the church grow? It grows, doesn't it, when those in the church practice what they preach, when they practice what they believe. The greatest influence on the man outside is a Christian that practices what he preaches because that man says, here's a man that practices what he preaches. There is evidence that I, without Christ, I'm damned. That man reminds me that I'm lost. And therefore, that man reminds me that I must turn to Jesus Christ. This is why it is of tremendous importance. It's a matter of life and death. And that's why we ought to say to ourselves today, as we are turning now and beginning to look towards Lent, we ought to say, 
oh, I want to heed, Paul, that regardless of what comes as a Christian, I want to practice what I preach. I want to practice what I believe. I want my life to be lived in such a way that it measures up to some degree. It's in harmony. It's in keeping with what I say I believe that I might live the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we determine to do that, and then to bear witness, then we can expect again uh, some blessings from God as we bear witness in our own home. We're seeing tragedies today, aren't we, in homes. It reminds me of Jesus. Jesus says before the end comes, it's going to be two against three and three against two. Father's going to be pitted against son and son's going to hate the father and the daughter's going to hate the mother, and the mother's going to hate the daughter, and the mother-in-law's going to hate the daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. And we say, what is happening? And we wonder, what is this terrible bitterness and this hatred? Again, when some say, it can't be my son. This can't be my daughter. And I'm wondering, could it be that as Christians, again, we say, this is the faith that I believe in, have we somehow rather slipped in practicing what we preach? I wonder, you know, you've heard me talk about the two little bears in the home. I wonder if they're still in your house and mine. The one, Bahal talks about bearing one another's burdens, whether there is still that little bear where we overlook the weaknesses of one another in love, and then the other bear to forbear, that is to threaten and to nag. I wonder whether we have forgotten that in, even in discipline that we've gotten to nagging, that they scream at us, get off my back because they feel that it's resentment, that it's bitterness, I wonder. And I wonder, could that be it? And whether we would say to ourselves, as we look at ourselves, I wonder if I'm practicing what I'm preaching. I wonder if I'm practicing what I believe. I wonder if I'm living the gospel of Christ. I wonder if my kids see it. Can we underestimate or ever overestimate the influence when we practice what we preach with individuals? I think back of an interesting thing that happened to me in my seminary days. See, when I was in the seminary, there were all men in the seminary. There weren't any women in the seminary. Now, of course, we're going to have women in the seminary, and we're going to have chicks in the pulpit. And uh, for the life of me, I say, heaven help us as far as I'm concerned, because, again, i been in the ministry for a number of years. I just can't imagine men going to a chick minister again with a mini skirt ever confessing and talking about some of the things that men have come to me about but i also am just old-fashioned enough to believe that when paul said let the woman keep silent in the congregation that the holy spirit wasn't saying just shut up in this church but that here was of universal truth that the church for centuries has kept that women were not to be ordained to the ministry but nevertheless uh, in the same days when I was there, we were all men, and of course, we, our class wasn't too large, and we had the regular chairs that you have with the arm, and uh, the professor didn't care whether we turned the chair around and put our feet up on the arm, but I had one who did. Uh, he wanted, it was all right in class, he said, to put our feet on the chair part, but not on the arm part. He said he didn't want to look at a bunch of shoe soles. He, I suppose, wanted to look at our real soles. But nevertheless, remember this little incident, that as he was lecturing away, I had forgotten I had my feet up on the arm of the chair in front of me. And he stopped in his lecture, and he looked at me, and he said, Hanson, would you please put your feet down on the chair part, on the seat part? And I wasn't conscious that I had, and I put my feet down. Then he looked at me, and he smiled, and he said, you bear me no ill will, do you? You know, I've never forgotten that as long as I live. 
you bear me no ill will. I thought, what a man of God. You're not angry. And I said, surely not. He's the one professor that I've had in seminary still alive. And I rather worship the ground he walks on even to this day because I looked at him that day and I thought, there's a guy that was practicing what he was preaching. What an influence. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Maybe, Father and Mother, that in practicing what we preach, when things look so hopeless in your home, maybe by, again, living Jesus Christ, maybe you can say something that, again, son or daughter will remember someday when they will need it. Oh, Paul wrote to the congregation. He says, I'm in jail. And he said, will you, regardless of what happens, Philippians, Will you practice what you preach? Will you practice what you believe? Will you practice what your faith says? Will you live the gospel that you say you believe in? And Paul would remind them, I know you're not saved by your life. I know that. But oh, it's of tremendous importance. It's a matter of life and death. And it is. Because again, Paul would remind you me that it's only when we, again, we practice what we preach. When we live what we believe. When we live the faith. Only then do we give ourselves evidence that, again, we will accept the cross of suffering when it comes. Paul wrote to them and he said, Remember, suffering comes when, he says, you see that your life measures up to the gospel. He reminded them, he said, Look what I had to endure when I was with you up in Philippi. Remember, there's a place where they beat him and they put him in stocks. Locked him in the inner dungeon, he and Silas that night. And here he was in jail in Rome. And Paul is saying to them, regardless of what comes, be ready for the cross. When you and I look out in this 20th century, I like to look with my eyes open. You know it and I know it that we have a group in this country that have only one aim. That's the establishment, the nation, the church, everything that you and I know and revere has got to go. And I'm wondering, will you and I see it? Will our kids see it? We're headed for blood because the world in communism is rising up and it's a fight to the last ditch. And Paul is saying, regardless of what comes, be sure that you practice what you live, and only then are you going to be ready to endure the cross and not to try to avoid it. If you and I are not willing to practice what we believe now, what would we do if persecution comes to those who live Jesus Christ? We're going to avoid it, aren't we? We're going to evade it. And then again, we're going to have the evidence that we're not going to wear a crown of life but he's going to at the last day repudiate you and me and spew us from his mouth. If you and I are not willing, in view of the darkness of the future for Jesus Christ and his cause, if we aren't willing to live him today, to practice what we believe, to practice again what we preach and to live Jesus Christ, when the storm clouds of persecution come and they're rolling fast, are you and I going to stand and accept it as an honor and not be afraid? Are we otherwise going to stand at the last day and Jesus say, I would you had been hot or cold. Why weren't you for me? And why weren't you definitely against me because you've been lukewarm? You've evaded me and you've just 
When in Rome you've been doing this, the Romans and Judea, make me sick, I vomit, I spew you out of my mouth. This is what he's talking about. And I know this hurts because we've heard it, haven't we? Practice what you preach. You probably are saying to me, preacher, why don't you practice what you preach? You think maybe I'm saying, why don't you? No, I'm saying let us practice what we preach because only then, if we have gotten anything out of faith in Jesus Christ, if he has meant anything, has given us any encouragement and love, then we're going to say to ourselves, I'm going to show it in my concern in getting along with my fellow Christian, in my concern for his needs and the needs of all men. That as I practice what I preach and then speak a good word for Jesus Christ, that I may win some for him. Paul said, Philippians, if you've got any encouragement of Christ, if you found any joy in him, he said, if he means anything, will you see to it that as you live and you live lives that are in keeping with the gospel, that you'll live in harmony that you'll get along with one another, that you'll be concerned, that you'll put others ahead of you, that you will respect others as being better than you, and that you will treat them in that way. The world is calling for it today. If it isn't too late, perhaps you and I can still do something. We can say to ourselves, what I've got to do, I believe in Christ. I've got to practice what I preach. I've got to show it in my life. It's a matter of life and death. Men are watching Men need to know that I care. Men need to know that I love. This individual needs to know that I think just as much of him as any other human being, that we are all precious in the sight of God. I wonder if the time hasn't come. And you and I have got to say to ourselves, if I've ever lived in, if I have ever lived in my life, Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to do it today. The world's on fire. We've got to do something that we may have the joy that in saving others, we can save ourselves. Oh, the last week of winter and winds and the winter that Michigan reminded me of the little 15-year-old girl out in Nebraska, out in one of those little rural schools with about 30 kids from the first through the eighth grades. When school took up that one morning, and it was a cold morning, it was snowing, and about noon, the blizzard started on the Nebraska plain, and the temperature was down below zero, and they decided they'd go home, and the bus driver took again the kids on the way, but the blizzard was tremendous, and the bus stalled. And he said, I'm going for help, and he left the little girl in charge, 15 years old, with about 30 little kids. You are in charge till I get back. It was 2 o'clock the next morning, before they got back to that bus, the engine had crunked out and it was below zero. And fathers and mothers, when they were going, they thought they were going to find all those kids frozen to death. They got to the bus about 2 o'clock in the morning. We're told that they heard singing and they heard running. All night long, a 15-year-old girl, when everything was gone and it was below zero in the bus, she said to the kids, Come on, we're going to march. You're going to follow me. And they marched around and were going to sing. And when the little kids would get sleepy, a vixen, she grabbed them. And she pulled their hair and she slapped them. And, oh, no, you're not going to sit down. You're going to march. And they marched and they followed the leader. And over and under, two o'clock in the morning, when they opened the doors, every kid was alive. 
Little did she realize that in saving the other kids from freezing to death, she had saved herself. I wonder whether the time hasn't come and we're going to say, it doesn't matter what happens, I'm going to have to practice what I preach. I'm going to have to practice, I'm going to have to live Christ. Because in so doing, I'll be able to save myself when I save somebody else. Because you see, we must, we're Christians. You and I, whether we know it or not, we are climbing Jacob's ladder, aren't we? Yes, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder, soldiers of the cross. Don't you realize every rung goes higher, higher? Every rung goes higher, higher. Every rung goes higher, higher, soldier of the cross. Sinners, do you love my Jesus? Sinners, do you love my Jesus? Sinners, do you love my Jesus, soldiers of the cross? If you love him, why not serve him? If you love him, why not serve him? If you love him, why not serve him, soldiers of the cross? Rise, shine, give God glory. I'll practice what you preach. Rise, shine, give God glory. Rise, shine, give God glory. Rise, shine, give God glory. Soldiers of the cross, this is the hour of the 20th century. If there's ever been a call that we ought to heed, O Christians, practice what you preach. It's a matter of life and death. Don't you know we are climbing Jacob's land? Yes, we are. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Thank you.